The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world with the guts to say Shohei Otani is underrated. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And why would we say something so brave yet so true? Wow, yeah, such courage. I'm glad somebody is finally saying it. We are using our platform for good, and that is going to be one of the topics on today's episode, we are going to talk about the Angels in a positive light, at least somewhat. We're going to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. That's easy to talk about in a positive light. He is absolutely amazing. We are going to bring on our friend Daniel Alvarez to talk about the Miami Marlins, who are legitimately good at baseball, and of course, Luis Arise and his magic. And then later on, as we continue our uh, mid-season look as teams cross the 81 game mark. We are going to look back at MLB.com's bold predictions made by many of our friends on the beats and see how they are doing so far. Still time, still a whole half season for these bold predictions to come true or come very become very false. Uh, but we are going to get into all of that. But Jake, are we going to begin with Shohei Otani? That seems like we, a fair thing to do. We are. But before we begin, just a reminder to rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, the um, record player that you listen to in your living room. It really helps the show grow. And we want as many people to listen to it as possible so that, you know, the human race can learn about the wonder that is Shohei Otani. Last night, Shohei Otani, a member of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, struck out 10 and hit two home runs in the same game. Let's. We have oh, talked yeah. on this show, Jordan, many times about how he, because he does this every night, or I guess once every five nights, it numbs us. We are used to the greatness. But last night was a really, like I watched this whole game. I sat down and I consumed it in its entirety. And for the Angels to emerge victorious in a Shohei Otani stunner in which Mike Trout did not even play, is this a turning point for the franchise? They in which... have won a Tungsten O'Doyle game. <laughs> um, well, no, it can't be a Tungsten O'Doyle game if Mike Trout didn't play. It's just uh, a Tungsten game. Yeah, like we gotta, it, it would only really work if, I, I understand what we're getting at here. We are going to give the Angels some credit, but I think, I mean, this was a game where Mike Moustakis was batting cleanup yeah. and had two hits. 
So that, you know, to be able to win that game, I know the White Sox are a mess and they continue to be. But uh, the Angels have won enough of these games where Otani and Trout have done amazing things where we have had to reconsider uh, their place this season. I do not want to extend this conversation to Otani's future because I think that is foolish. I think this has nothing to, there's nothing the Angels could do that are going to get him. It doesn't matter. So let's, let's ignore that conversation. All this is about. Just quickly. I believe that maybe this is oversimplifying things. I think the Dodgers are going to give Shohei the most money and it is going to be very boring and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. (laughs) And instead, I would like to focus on the here and now, on the wonderful things he's doing on the field and not what it means for his future. Yeah. Right. Well, I won't even comment on the Dodgers part or how interesting that I am looking forward to the free agency. Let's be very clear. But that's not how we we don't need to be talking about this because the point is, is he's still on the team now. He's and as long as he's still on the team, as long as the best baseball player and maybe the second best baseball player or at least one of the top five is still on the team. I know Mike Trout hasn't played that way. They have the opportunity to win something significant. They have not at all. They have not even had a winning season. But this year, they've done enough to convince, I think, both of us that for this year, they are clearly in the mix. Now, before we get to the Angels at large, I want to focus here on this game from Otani and how we react to stuff like this. Because to your point, are we numb to it? Maybe. I will say, (laughs) I think I've made this point on the show in years past. I don't particularly, and this is with all love in the world for Sarah Langs and and researchers of her ilk, of which there are none because she is the best. <laughs> the fun facts about him, I don't particularly care for anymore. Telling me that he's the first player to do X, Y, since this one. Now, last night was fun because we got to see CeCe Sabathia hitting home runs um, in, in, a, in a clip that was a, a first time he's done X since CC. Like, that was cool. But in general, coming up with all these newfangled ways to describe how it's the first time he's due, unnecessary. Watch the guy play baseball, and that's it's unbelievable. He is has the most homers, and he is the hardest pitcher to get a hit against. Just watch him, and you know he's the best baseball player. It's so, so, so special. I would say you're allowed to do Shohei fun facts, but only on each side of his game. So yes, those like, yes, Shohei as a hitter and Shohei as a pitcher can be separate fun facts. But when yes. you do them together, it's like. No one's done this since Babe Ruth. We know. We get it. It's incredible. Oh, my God. I actually think that separating the two even emphasizes and amplifies totally. more how incredible he is. Totally. And if you want to do a – like, I'm I'm a fan of the um, – he's leading the league in home runs. He has the most X number of 450-foot homers, blah, 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 blah. And then you just throw in, oh, yeah, he also pitches. Like, that's fun. I, I'll do the version of that, right? But, like – Coming up with explaining the specific accomplishments of doing both at the same time. Yes, he's the only person doing it. And we should not be taking it for granted ever, right? But he is, I mean, honestly, and and I think we've talked about this before, which side is more impressive to you at this stage, regardless of whether they're happening at the same time? Because I, especially this year, even, and you know, he had a stretch where he looked terrible um, at the end of May offensively, but like the home runs that he's hitting every which way i just don't even he's hitting home runs it's not just the distance it's the way the one the second one last night it was the best pitch of the world off tukey but that he's just basically kind of flicking it out to left center is is just unfathomable again we're talking about a guy who if he was not a pitcher he would be one of the three most exhilarating position players even though he's not playing a position 
So I'm going to do a little baseball explaining here. Oh. I want you to think about mm-hmm. Luisa Rise, and I want you to think about Joey Gallo. Mm-hmm. When a hitter swings with a lot of force and rotational power, like a Joey Gallo, they tend to have uh, struggles adjusting to pitches in different parts of the strike zone. Mm-hmm. And this is understandable, right? The faster you're moving forward, the more power you're moving with forward, the harder it is to move your hands to where they need to be. Take that and compare it to Luisa Rise, who is not rotating with any force, but is able to get his bat to the ball all the time. Otani's ability to adjust to pitches in the strike zone in different spots and maintain his body forward and keep his hands back is it is one of a kind. I mean, Harper, peak Harper is similar to this, right? Where he can go get pitches in different parts. But if you compare him to Mike Trout, like Mike Trout still always and will always have like a hole in the top of the zone where he just cannot always get to those pitches, right? He's a low ball hitter. Otani is a ball hitter. (laughs) You know, he's able to go get pitches in various parts and do crazy things with them like the second homer he hit last night. I just want to read out the stats for this month, if if I if I may. Please. Oh, yeah. This month, uh, the month of June, which is almost over, 3-2-6 ERA, 37 strikeouts, okay, and 30 innings. Pretty good. Very good. Otani the hitter, 383-473-915 with 13 <laughs> homers, 7 doubles, wait, two wait, doubles wait, 4 wait, steals. Wait, 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 wait. He's slugging 900 in June? Correct. Okay. Um, that's amazing. Uh, it does. I mean, it sure has felt that way. And by the way, that line is with a one for seven in Coors Field. Remember, mm. right? Like that's, that is like mo- probably another eight to 10 total bases that he missed out on just by letting his friends have all the fun. So an article from Rhett Bollinger at MLB.com about Otani's amazing night yesterday Something that stuck out to me is the quotes in here from people around Otani. So Otani does something amazing and all the reporters go down there and they're like, how about the Otani guy? What are they supposed to say at this point, right? If you're (laughs) Phil Nevin or Chad Wallach, I just want to read these quotes. It's a wow factor, Phil Nevin said. We're seeing things every day that we've never seen before. You try not to take it for granted. I don't think any of us do. I understand how special it is, but I understand how special the person is to our room and what he brings to us every single day. Love that. Every game somehow seems to get crazier the more I watch him play, <laughs> said catcher Chad Wallach. That's watching a good him quote. pitch like that. That's a good quote. Like and then quote. go hit two home runs. Somehow it still surprises you every time. I love that, right? Because <laughs> like if you're catching Otani, it's like, wow, that was a good inning. And you're so used to as a catcher, right? Seeing your pitcher there on the bench, and you can go talk to him and talk strategy. And then you're Chad Wallach and you look on the field and there's the guy pitching, hitting a home run twice. <laughs> and t- to that point, that's why when the fun facts, and by the way, like it's not like I don't want Sarah Langs to keep giving me the fun facts. It's just like those are the things that are washing over me. Those are the those that are making me numb to it. But the the elements of the of the both ways that will never ever get old is on games like last night when he homers and has to basically eschew the celebration because he has to get ready to pitch again. And yeah. I was talked about the other version of it too, where right, he comes in, you know after throwing 110 pitches, comes in in the seventh, and he's like clearly wiped. 
And he straps on the arm guard because, like, I got to score some runs for this goddamn team. And that's the thing. Like, we are watching this guy win baseball games by himself. There is nobody else <laughs> that can do it like this in a way. Like, sure, you got, oh, he's carrying this guy's Aaron Judge. Okay, great, right? But no, that's <laughs> as amazing as Aaron Judge is. The Yankees still have a very good pitching staff that generally keeps them in the ballgame, whatever. Otani is winning games by himself. In way, regularly in ways that's just like it should it shouldn't be possible and yes we shouldn't take it for granted but I do think it is important because it can we can't get enough to it to kind of zoom in on the very individual moments in each performance individual swing individual pitch or sequence that he does because that's how we can really appreciate it on a regular basis and last night he gets taken out with a cracked fingernail after 102 pitches I believe. Mm-hmm in the seventh inning. So he comes out as a pitcher and then homers in the bottom of the inning, right? <laughs> that is a great example because when he homers and he's pitching, he doesn't always throw the um, the helmet on, like mm-hmm. the celebration mm-hmm. Japanese, like I can't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really throw it on, but then he comes out of the game, homers in the bottom of the seventh and then puts it on. <laughs> and it's like, oh, right, he's out of the game as a pitcher. That's how you know. One last quote about this, Jordan, uh... from White Sox manager Pedro Griffol. Quote, mm. he's extremely talented. Yeah, I would say that's I mean, not wrong, Pedro. <laughs> no, um, yeah. I And also, like, again, if we extend this a little bit to just the Angels, like, I am still, again, like, I don't want to make this about the future because if anything, he's not going anywhere. They're not going to trade him. He's going to be there and they deserve to ride it out. And they've built a good enough team where they are going to be in the mix um, and honestly, as I just mentioned, like this guy can win games on his own. Like at some point, that's probably what it's going to, what it's going to take. And that's what I'm so excited for, for the second half of the season. Once we get past the trade deadline and hopefully we don't have to talk about, like, of course we're going to wonder where his future is, but like, once we get past the trade deadline, it will literally be about, okay, Otani is clearly on a mission, not just to make 600, $700 million, whatever, but he's on a mission to play on a winning baseball team, and he's doing everything that he can to ensure that that is the case. And every win counts in a very significant way, for especially for an Angels team that frequently loses games in very stupid ways. He knows how important every game is, and he's just going out and doing everything he possibly can. And that is going to be amazing to watch down the stretch, no matter when the Angels season ends. I've been labeled uh, an Angels hater many times, and I would agree with that statement. The Angels' inability over the last decade to make just one playoff appearance while having two of the best players of all time, I guess over the last half decade, Otani and Trout, is maybe the most embarrassing roster-building flub in baseball history. Mm-hmm. However, I see the end of an era hurtling towards us, Jordan, where the Angels in a year, two years, three years from now may look completely different and may have a totally different ethos and vibe and construction. And because of that, this year, I am removing my Angels hater tag. Hmm. I want these fans and this team to experience one final fling of joy. I know we don't want to talk about the future. Otani is freaking gone. I think he's gone. And because of that, this is a last summer fling. This is a chance for one shot at love. And I hope that Otani can put the Angels on his back and help take them to the playoffs. And part of the reason I'm more hopeful is because the supporting cast 
in 2023 on the offensive side has been light years better than anything we've seen recently from the Angels. Mickey Moniak, Brandon Drury. Drury's Taylor, been really good. Yep. Taylor Ward has had his moments. Logan Ohapi, I know he has been hurt for a while, but when he if he gets back, like that's another real piece. I think this Angels team is much deeper than it's been in previous seasons. The pitching I still have a lot of concerns with. It's just not been as good as we thought it was going to be. But and that's yeah, and that's what I think <laughs> a lot of people were more optimistic about was like, look at this young rotation, and now we add Tyler Anderson, and it's like, sorry, like there's still elements of this roster building that I have no confidence in. But again, it's enough. It is good enough. They've played Correct. good enough, and the top end with Otani is still good enough that they should be in the mix for a wild card spot. At this point in previous seasons, to me, the narrative was the Angels cannot make the playoffs. This year, they can. Doesn't mean they will. Mm -hmm. They could easily lose out on a spot. But the team is there to do it. And that is not something I believed in past years. That is a credit to Mike Trout. That is a credit to Shohei Otani, to Perry Minasian, their general manager, and honestly, to their coach, Phil Nevin, who has kept this thing moving forward. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, a very simple way to look at it. And I, I, I look at this often on for really good teams and whatever is as far as consistency. They don't have longer than a three game losing streak this year. And like that is something that the Angels normally have a week where it just the whole season goes in the toilet and they haven't had that. They haven't allowed that to happen. Um, and that's, you know, credit to them. So, again, still a lot of work to do. Still a flawed roster. But when you have, it's, again, you just have to get it to sufficient when you have the best baseball player who's ever freaking lived. So exactly. <laughs> that is, that's where we're at uh, with them. Two more topics before we go and take a break and talk about some fish. We spend a whole lot of time on this show talking about surprises and disappointments, about teams that are overperforming or underperforming, celebrating those who are surpassing expectations and cackling at those who are not living up to them. But I want to talk about the predictable teams. Jordan, which clubs around the league are exactly who we thought they were? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, easy way to do this. And, you know, I have a sheet that just has the, the preseason. Fangraphs projected win totals and Pakoda projected win totals and, you know, the Vegas over-unders. And it's interesting because when you sort them by, you know, who was projected to be the most wins... There's really only one team at the top that has actually delivered fully, and that is Atlanta. No one, again, the other teams that were easily projected for the most wins, the Mets, disaster, Padres, disaster, Yankees, not bad, but I don't I'm are they gonna definitely win 92 games? Maybe. I, I'm not super, you know, Pakota had them at 96. I certainly would take the under on that. Astros, clearly underwhelming. Dodgers. I mean, they were projected for a lot less than we expected. I actually think that the Dodgers. Might be an answer here too, weirdly, because of the concerns we had about the roster. They're clearly still a good team. I'm not. I'm surprised where they are in the standings, but I think the win total that they're headed for is actually not that surprising, based on the concerns that we had and some of the some of the issues that we've seen with them. I think Toronto weirdly also fits in the category of maybe on, but maybe you'd say they're a little bit more towards disappointing. Um, I would say the fact that they're opening day starter who is one of the best pitchers okay. in the world last year just gave up 11 runs in okay. a complex to, to 18 year olds yeah okay yeah. that's that's fair so then other than that i mean i don't know i guess milwaukee has been pretty much as expected maybe a little bit worse 
Uh, who else kind of stands out for you as as who, who I mean, at the bottom? I mean, Colorado, you know, Oakland. The Nats have really started to look a lot more recently, like we expected. So that's what's interesting. The bottom is what we thought the bottom would be. Mm-hmm. The last place team, except for the in, Reds, in every single division except the NL Central, mm-hmm. is who we would have predicted: Boston, Kansas City, Oakland, DC, and Colorado. Those are the cellar dwellers, and we thought they would be the, swe- the cellar do- dwellers. The cellar dwellers. Come on, Jake. The Cardinals are obviously the big one that stands out. But yeah, dude, I would say the Phillies are probably where I thought they would be as they start to right the ship a little bit. They're at 41 and 37, three games back in the wild card, where they were last year, flawed team with a lot of really good players on it. But it is a reminder that this season has been weird and unpredictable and an outlier, I would say, and even a turning point. I think there's a chance we look back on this season in a couple years and we see the Astros didn't make the playoffs or the Yankees didn't make the playoffs or the Dodgers didn't make the playoffs. And it's, oh, this was a different outcome, a different result than what we had grown accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that there's, and and we'll see how many of these teams can hang on. Of course, we're we're about to talk about them. Miami near the top of that list of of is this team really heading to a legitimate, uh, not twenty twenty Jesus Aguilar smoking cigars postseason berth? Uh, but you know, Arizona too, right? San Francisco, like these are teams too. Cincinnati, of course, and near the top because Cincinnati is is the one. That in terms of how much they're beating their projections, you know, most of the projections had Arizona and even Miami as average teams. They did not look at them and said, these teams stink. It was just like we, especially with Miami, there was really never, they they did not give enough to make us really believe in the, the track record was there. And we'll talk about that with Daniel. Giants even too, right? And Angels, right? Like these are teams that we all had in the middle. And there's ver- even the Rangers, versions where it could go well. Whereas Cincinnati, everyone's like, they still suck. <laughs> and are they going to finish in first place? I don't know, but I don't think they suck. We call these teams 71 or 91. Yeah. They could end up with 71 wins or 91 wins. And the Reds were not that. The Reds were 61 wins. And here they are wowing us at every turn. But I want to hop back to the Braves for our last topic before the break. The Braves have lived up to the hype and even more than that, Ronald Acuna Jr. is incredible. Jordan, you wrote about him this week over at Fox Sports, how his quest for 40-40 is very much on track, how he returned from injury, a better version of himself. What has impressed you most about Acuna this season? Well, it's that we're not talking about 40-40, we're talking about 40-70, which of course has never happened before. Um Seven, I mean, 3070 has never happened before. The closest we've seen that was, I believe, Eric Davis went 28 and 72 or something. But uh, Ronald is on a mission <laughs> to a degree that is so incredible to watch. And I think we have seen, like, we knew that he could be the best non Otani player in baseball. Again, the premise of conversation, like, I want to move Otani aside, right? We're talking about the best players in baseball that are not the most amazing thing we've ever seen. 
And Ronald Acuna is absolutely in that conversation. I think I was struck, you know, getting to talk to him, talk to some of his teammates and think about the fact that, you know, I I harped on how I got to talk to him in Cincinnati and that's where it all started, you know, just five years ago, but it feels like him and Soto fits in this category too. They've just been in our lives for so long. They've just been such an important part of this generation. And because both of those guys kind of came before that next wave of Vlad and Tatis and then, you know, Wander and, and, and so on and so forth, the guys who have debuted super duper young, he really does just stand out as someone who we've seen so much of. And we've talked about him so much and we've seen the ups and downs on and off the field and talking to people, talking to him and talking to people around him and honestly talking to Daniel Alvarez, who we're going to have here in a second, as he knows him as well as anybody as, as, as our, our main, you know, Venezuelan baseball plug. I think everything that happened with him this offseason, a lot of drama involving the Winter League and playing at home and playing for the WBC team, where at one point it wasn't going to look like he was actually going to play with them and how he was being received. It seemed like that whole experience kind of snapped into, he snapped into a place where I am now healthy. I know I am can be the best player in the league. And everybody knows I can be the best player in the league. And they want me to be the best player in the league. And I have to go do that. And anything else that is going to distract from that is not worth it. And it helps to be on, you know, one of, if maybe not the best team in baseball, where he has so much support. It's not all on him. He can just play freely, play his game. No one's going to get mad about it. But my God, like, he's just, he is, my favorite thing about it from the, from the stolen base standpoint is, again, there are other fast players in the league. Not everyone wants to run like him. And this is part of what makes Ellie special also. But you got to have that drive and that motivation, that fearlessness, that ambition, and the green light from your team to just go, 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 go. And it is, it is an incredible combination when you also see what he can do on offense, which is a whole other part of the conversation, which is just shocking that he has just completely stopped striking out in a way that you just do not see players figure out how to do year over year. I also want to emphasize how young this guy still is. Mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna was born December 18th, 1997. Okay. Spencer Steer who has been one of the more impressive rookies in the league this season for the Cincinnati Reds. He has produced 1.6 war this year as a rookie. Wow. Spencer Steer is two weeks older than Ronald Acuna Jr., who has been in the big leagues for a half decade and has a career 902 OPS. Mm -hmm. Career 902 OPS. Ronald Acuna Jr. is younger than Stephen Kwan, Jeremy Pena, Austin Riley, Luis Robert Jr. <laughs> Poor, younger than Austin Riley is great because Austin Riley came up so young and still is still. Also, again, think about that too. With Riley and, and the struggles he's had this year, we thought he was figuring it all out. It's like, oh, he's going through struggles. And what Acuna did last year when he was clearly not healthy, right? He was healthy enough to play. But everyone around the team, and he would admit to, I was not at my best. I did right. not feel like I could be Ronald Acuna Jr. And he still went nearly 15-30 and was an above average hitter and at times looked like one of the best players in baseball. And so now it's like full go. Here we go, right? He was born on the same day as Brandon Marsh, 
Yep. Literally exact same age as Brandon Marsh. Think about how long it took Brandon Marsh to figure it out. <laughs> He's still sort of putting it together. I know he had a big game last night. It's just astonishing. And we should, like, he is another one where, like, we 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 could be watching. I know this sounds insane, but I've had conversations with Daniel that make me think it's not insane. He could be the greatest Venezuelan baseball player of all time. Miguel Cabrera, of course, the career is, is un, unmatched. And it'll take so long for him to get to those numbers. But he currently has basically the same OPS that Miggy has over his career. And he's going to steal 80 freaking bases this year. So <laughs> I just, there's nothing, there's nothing stopping this guy and, and the drive with which he's taking going forward. And because he's so enabled being on such a great Braves team, it's the perfect storm to have what's going to be, I think, an MVP season. And he's on pace for all these incredible numbers career-wise. Remember, 2020 was a half a season in which he was oh, yeah. incredible. And then his leg went kablooey and missed, you know, parts of two seasons. Mm -hmm. And he's still almost halfway to 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases, which would make him, if he does get there, only the ninth player all time to accomplish that. And again, he, right, he could very easily get to 150, 150 after this year. And I had this in my story. The only other two guys that have done that through age 25 are Mike Trout and A-Rod. And they did it in over 900 games. And Acuna is going to have less than 700. So it's it's absurd. And I, I, I don't want to take him for granted either. And I know the Braves are so good. And they have so many great players that, you know, maybe he he doesn't. But it's just, it's so cool. And um, I'm, I'm so happy for him. And, and I'm glad that he's now back atop the, the kind of clear, you know, pantheon of best players in the world. All righty. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, we will go out to the ocean with a real, some bait and a box of ice and talk about fish. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. We are now very excited to be joined by one of our good friends and a recurring guest, our Marlins correspondent, our Venezuelan baseball expert. It is Daniel Alvarez. Daniel, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure and honor and always great to talk with you guys. Oh, my heart is full. Jordan, they (laughs) say you shouldn't heat up fish in the microwave. They say that's rude. But the Miami Marlins are ignoring those rules because the fish are hot. Hot fish after a 10 to 1 drubbing of the Boston Red Sox last night. The Marlins are almost to a positive run differential. (laughs) We'll get to that in a little bit. But hey, there is a lot of good things happening. And I think the best way to kind of summarize how good the Marlins have been is that before Daniel came on, we just did a whole Ronald Acuna discussion without him, even though he would have been a great guest for that. But we're keeping Daniel focused on the mighty Marlins here because they're 46 and 34 at the end of June. They're in second place comfortably. They're in great position to make a wild card spot. People are going to Marlins Park to watch this team. And let's just keep it simple, Daniel. What has surprised you about this incredible Marlins start? And and what has it been like 
watching this team be legitimately good for multiple months in a row. It's been great. It's been fun. It has made my job a lot easier because it's, you know, it's way better when you go to the ballpark and you you know that you can cover a team that can actually win many games. And I think that the best the best part of it and what has surprised me the most is that they have 22 wins coming from behind. So this is a resilient team, something that it, it was tough to see, <clears throat> especially last year or the last couple of years. And I think I have to to give a lot of credit to to the coaching staff, Kip Schumacher, obviously. Uh, but this team, I mean, so so many guys have to get a step forward, um, especially the guys from the bullpen, keeping the game so close. This this team has won so many one run games all season long, and and there's a lot of credit that goes to the bullpen arms, but uh, their resiliency too, and that's something that I, I really have to to point out because it's been really good this year. So you mentioned. Skip Schumacher, who is the first year manager of the Miami Marlins. Don Mattingly was the head man from 2016 to 2022. That is eight seasons. He was one of the longest tenured managers before he left. Is it fair to say that in the last couple of years of Mattingly, things grew stale a little bit in the clubhouse? Is Skip Schumacher providing a new voice for the team? Because Jordan and I, when we talk about managers, we have no idea how to talk about managers. We have no idea what kind of impact they have. We can never measure it. It definitely exists. So how important has Skip Schumacher been to this enterprise? He's been so important with, with, as you mentioned, a new voice, fresh voice, a new message. Someone, for example, and, and Donnie mentioned this the last day of the season last year, someone that Kim chose to manage the team because Donnie was there when 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 Kim Ang got to the team as, as a general manager. So now she's building exactly what she wanted. And that's something that Donnie told me last week when the Blue Jays were in town. And, and he's so proud to see what the guys are doing. He always uh, felt that this was possible, but he knew that they needed a new, a new voice. Obviously, it wasn't only Mattingly. Plenty of guys left the team from last year. Obviously, Miguel Rojas is one of the the main guys that was traded to to the Dodgers again. Um, but also Aguilar, Pablo, um, Anthony Bass was traded mid mid season last year. Zach Pop was traded mid season last year. So pl- plenty of changes that led to this. And now with new with a new voice in Skip, but also in the clubhouse um, with a, with a younger team that is having more fun than probably any other team in the league. And I don't know if you guys saw last night a, a video in the clubhouse of Sandy talking to the guy saying, hey, I've been here since 2018 and I've never seen something quite like it. And I have to agree with Sandy because we basically started in the Marlins, him as a player and me as a, as a reporter in the same year. Right. And that's a that's a great way to to kind of set up my next question because to your point, like, and and by the way, for those who know, like Daniel, you're not technically a Marlins beat writer, but that is your it is your it is your home park, and you know this team. Right. And as we're gonna get to with guys like like Arise, like Sandy, um, like Yuri Press, you know these guys as well as anybody, and so you are more than qualified to to talk about this. Seventeen and seven in June, they're nineteen and five in one run games, which has a lot to do with how they are this good, still with a negative six run differential. But we mentioned, yes, okay, sure, Manningly maybe wasn't pushing them forward anymore, and so Skip has has a big difference. We got to talk about the the players here. We got to talk about the the performances that we're getting, and that's what I really want to hear from you. Is is 
Arise is going to be his own conversation. We're going to save that. But, but besides yeah. him, what has – because you mentioned Sandy. He hasn't been great. You know, last night we yeah, saw him finally start to look good, right? Yeah. Last night was was really the first time it was well, like, oh, there's Cy Sandy again. Go ahead, If Jay. I said to you before the season, Daniel, uh, Joey Wendell is going to be meh. Gene Segura is going to suck. Jazz is going to be hurt for a while. Sandy is going to be underwhelming. Edward Cabrera is going to be hurt. And the bullpen's going to be sufficient but not dominant. How good will this team be? You would have said not that good, and yet not here they good. are, twelve yeah. games over five hundred. Right? I would have, I would have said it's the same photo of twenty one or and, and twenty two, and 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 that's it. And we're just getting ready to to have a busy deadline, trading players, and basically rebuilding again, right? Um, but no, it, there's a lot of credit that goes to to them, uh, as, as you mentioned. Of course, Arise is on a, on a whole different discussion. But players like Andrew Nardi, like Tanner Scott, yes, the bullpen, as, as you mentioned, hasn't been dominant, but they've been really solid. AJ Puck, who was a, a late offseason trade with the, with the with the Ace in exchange for JJ Blade and has paid out very very well for the Marlins. Um, that that's something that that has really impressed me how good the bullpen has been. I have my concerns because they're they're pitching basically every single night and. <laughs> By the time we hit July or August, they're going to be tired, and and that's yeah. going to change uh, things a lot. But they've been so good so far. And also, Yuli Gurriel was a late signing, but Yuli has been so good to this ball club since day one. And I remember talking to Yuli in spring training, late spring training when WBC was done and for the first couple of weeks of the season. And Yuli has been saying since day one, since he got there, we're going to play in October. We're going to play in October. Hey, this team has everything to play in October. And maybe it's Yuli just motivating them, but Yuli is, Yuli is a winner. We, we we know how much he won with the Astros in, since he got to the States. So um, I am really confident that this team can can make a, a fun run until the end. I don't know for how long. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be the playoffs, but they're going to be fun. And, and I think that these guys that took a step forward and these new leaders of the team – have really helped a lot. It seems it seems cliche, but that's why you sign Yuli Gurriel. He of doesn't course. even know what it's like to be on a losing team. He doesn't know any better. Right? No, and 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 we and we can't even say that this is a losing team because as of now, the Marlins are in the playoffs and the Astros are not. No, they're not exactly. But even <laughs> in spring training, to your point, like he's like, I'm here. Like I, I, I. I know what a winning team looks like. I can look at this right. roster and say, you know what? This team's good enough. I can help this team. And of course, we've heard stories like that before and it doesn't always go as well as this is going. But I do think that there's there's some credence to that. I think too, like Solaire is another one who I think yeah. is a massive part of this season. Yeah. And while, you know, unfortunately, I know, I'm sure it, it hurts you as as, as, a, as a as a Venezuelan baseball uh, expert and native, the Avisal Garcia part, what part has not oh. gone as well in, in year two for a lot of reasons. But when we looked at those signings and we said like Soler, it was just like he was just hurt, you know. He was just hurt. And man, that's, that's, like when that guy is true. going, and, and and yeah, and th- that's that that was a frustrating part last year that when when Soler got hurt, he got hurt, and same with Avisail this year. Mm-hmm. He was not on a tear, but he was doing really good when he mm-hmm. when he got hurt, and it's basically the same injury Soler had last season. So mm-hmm. we know he's going to be out for a while, but with with Soler, he's healthy. And and he's confident, and and that's something that I we, we didn't see last year, and and it's a whole different guy 
compared to 2022 and 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 he's a good presence too and he can he can change the whole the whole game plan for a for an for a pitcher when he's in the lineup because although he could be in a in a slump he's one of the most powerful hitters in the game and he can change everything with, with one swing so he has done that plenty of times this year and having him also Brian de la Cruz and Jesus Sanchez playing on a good level has helped that um, heart of the lineup because they really needed that, especially when Jazz went down. Because that's the mm-hmm. other thing: this team had a, a negative record when Jazz got hurt. Jazz was in a, a was doing good offensively and defensively too. A lot of credit for him because he has really converted himself into a solid center fielder. And this team somehow play way better with without Jazz in the lineup than with Jazz in the lineup. And that's something that uh, not so many people are seeing here. So Jazz is now back. He was activated off the IL. He hurt his toe the beginning of the season, missed about five or six weeks. Yesterday was his first game back. Jazz Chisholm Jr. is great. Jazz Chisholm Jr. also sucks up a lot of air, attention, and focus wherever he goes. That is part of what makes him special. How will he reintegrate into this team that is succeeding so much? How much has he been around the clubhouse while they've been winning is one part of this question. And do you think that it will be like, how easy will it be for him to hop right back in on this? He's been, he's been around, especially the first couple of weeks he was around and doing treatment, but also being in the clubhouse with, in in the clubhouse and in the dugout with the guys. I I, I saw him uh, plenty of games in Miami and and on the road as well uh, with the team, just, as I said, by by having treatment treatment with the trainers and and medical staff of the team, but also, um, but by, by by just supporting and and when he he was in AAA in, in Jacksonville playing, he was always paying attention to what was going on in Miami. I know uh, he wanted to play earlier, like two weeks ago, and they were they were like, "Jester's no way you can play now." <laughs> like, um, this is just not going to happen. He he needed some rehab games, and and I think he's just going to be as impactful as he was last night. Um, we saw him scoring on a, on a hit that I personally thought, okay, he's going to be out at home. Uh, they're going to throw him out, but 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 he wasn't because he's so fast. He's so good at sliding um, at the bases or at the plate, although it might look dangerous sometimes because it's too hard. Um, but he he's a game changer and he's the spark of, of this team with Arise, of course. Um but he's just gonna be way impactful in, in so many ways. And I think it's it's so good to have him back. Because going into the year, it was like, okay, so how are the Marlins gonna be good? Well, they're gonna steal a lot of bases. They yeah. are 19th in the big leagues in steals. That's not how they've done this. And part of that is because Jazz has been out, so hopefully he can bump that number up and they can steal more bags. Jordan, I know you want to ask about Luis Arise. I know you're jumping at the bit to do that, so why don't we get that out of the way? Well, I think I want to finish with a rise. We got to talk about Yuri Perez. I, I know we we oh, have mentioned yeah. him, um, and we talked about him more on recent episodes, but he's uh, I think besides the rise, that the top story of the season, especially because Sandy has underwhelmed and as great as Soler has been, a little bit more of a known quantity. So, I just I mean, take it wherever you want. Like I don't know how long you, as you mentioned, you've been around the Marlins, so you know I'm curious when you first started hearing about Yuri talk about his relationship with Sandy, but what it's been like watching him succeed like this up close and yeah, take it wherever you want. Well, I, I first knew about Yodi when, when he signed in, in 2019, that uh, he was a good pitching prospect. And then all of a sudden pandemic year came 
and he appeared in 2021 having a monster season and i met him personally that last year of the last last day of the season because they brought him to to miami um and they gave him an award i think it was like a pitcher of the of the year or something like that and i see this six seven uh 18 year old kid and i'm like what is this? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, and he, the 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 thing that really surprised me was how nice he is, and he's one of the most genuine, humble, nicest kids I've ever been around. And I, the only thing I said is, dude, I hope he stays like this forever. And then the next year, he went to the um, Futures game in, in Los Angeles, and. I talked to him there. I talked to him in spring trainings month be- months before, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm very excited to see this kid because he not only he's really good, but he's such a nice person. And now we see him that he has he's only twenty. He can't legally drink. If the Marlins make the postseason, he's just not allowed to drink. Um, <laughs> just think about that. But the the way he dominates on the on the mound it's like dude you're a you have you have a baby face although you're like six seven six eight but you're just throwing 99 with a nasty changeup, nasty slider and just allowing one run in the whole month of june mm-hmm. so think about that and 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 the, the mornings have a i think it's a good problem to have um because they at some point they have they will have to stop him i don't know how if it's sending him down or just giving him a break because he already passed his career high in innings at any level in, in professional baseball. So that's that's a problem because he's only 20 and, and they have to to protect that arm. And he's right now he's the best pitcher in the team. And and that's hands down like that because you, you see the numbers and compared to what all the guys are doing and everybody has been the best. That's an amazing point that I, and I, you know, I was sort of on my radar in terms of workload and you hear about this with other young pitchers and, I think a lot of different teams have different philosophies on it, but it's a great point. I mean, he threw 78 innings in 21, 77 innings last year, and now he's at 78 innings this year uh, between double A and the big leagues. And we're not even to July. He's clearly their most important. I mean, maybe already their best pitcher. We'll see most important. Now, this is where it's nice to know that Sandy is going to go out there and give you seven and eight every time. Like yeah. this is where it's good to kind of have those guys, but there's other, they've had some other injuries and this is where you kind of get worried. But as you still mentioned, it's still a good problem to have what an unbelievable talent. Um, and, uh, I just, I, he's, he is must watch and I'm excited to see him. I imagine Friday is his next start. Um, Friday, actually. Friday in Atlanta. Um, Great. Oh, I man, think it's so. going to be his, his biggest challenge yet. Um, oh, easily, yeah, easily because against the best team in in, in the National League and probably in baseball. But mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to see him. All right, let's talk. Let's talk, Luis Arise. Um, La you, regadera. W- when this trade happens, two of the the best Venezuelan players in the league <laughs> getting traded for each other, and as you know, two of also the nicest people, and you've known both of them. Um, let's you know, we'll skip past rehashing the trade and everything. I do know that you've known Luis Arise for a long time. So while the national audience is really getting to know him this year as he's, you know, trying to bat 400 or whatever, if he bats 380, it's unbelievable. Uh, when did you know Luis Arise was special? Because I know it was probably before most of us. I, when he played in the Venezuelan Winter League in 2016. 16, because okay. He, so, yeah, because he he, he led the, the, the league in batting average. 
and he was just 19 mm-hmm. and already making a big splash with Magallanes. So, uh, as you know, it's one of the most important teams in the Caribbean. And they he was playing games against Caracas in Caracas or in Valencia and having great, great games with a lot of pressure because there's pressure in Winterball at any time of, of, of the season. And, and he just dominated the league at 19. And I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe Venezuela doesn't have the best pitching in, in, in the Caribbean, but I, I don't care. He's just 19 and he's just dominating and, and being the best hitter, one of the best hitters in the Caribbean this year. So he has the chance to to be special. And then um, he made his way to single A, double A. And, and when I saw him in spring, for the first time personally in spring training of 2019, um, working with Rod Carew in Fort Myers, I saw him. I saw his routine, um, how focused he was, and how determined he was to make it to the big leagues that year. And he said, "Yes, I, I, I really believe that I that I can make it this year." And within two months, he was already playing with the Twins in in at the biggest level. So, um, it, I was fortunate to see him uh, from afar in 2016 when he was playing that well with Magallanes, and that's what I why I'm not surprised uh, of what he's doing. Of course. When I see him hitting over 400, of course I'm surprised. And I'm like, dude, how could you be doing this in almost July? Uh, like, this doesn't happen uh, ever. <laughs> so why are you doing it? And uh, it's it's been a privilege to to follow, follow him and, and see him work every single day. Does he think he can hit 400? Is he, he thinking about it? He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. I, I ask him that I think the first time he got over 400 in this month. And I asked him like, Hey, when you see the number on the scoreboard and you see 401 or 402, what goes through your mind? He says that it's actually possible for me to hit 400. And, and I'm like, do you believe you can hit 400? He's like, yeah, it's possible. And I believe I can do it. Which is amazing. We had a conversation Three or four weeks ago when he went over in Seattle and we were talking about how impossible the math is. Like you have a few bad games yeah. and you're like, well, we're screwed. All right. You're not hitting 400 yeah. anymore. And then he proceeded to have, I think, two five hit games in the span of like four days. <laughs> it Something was like, oh, like well, okay. Hello? He's, uh, okay. He's back. He's back. You, you know, <laughs> going, going back to, to Jake, uh, Jake's question. This was day two of the season. Um, I didn't cover the open. I didn't cover opening day for the Marlins because I was in in Tampa watching the Tigers and Miggy's final opening day, mm-hmm. uh, Miggy Cabrera. And then I drove back to Miami the next morning, and he had I think it was like a three hit game against the Mets, day two of the season. And we're talking. This is just off the record, but I can share it with you. And Luis told me, right to my face, um, listen, I'm gonna win the batting title this year. And we're going to do something about it at the end of the year. I want you to come with me and, and see everything I'm doing in the offseason um, once I win the batting, batting title again. And I'm like, it's day two. He's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm winning this this thing again. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I believe you. And now he, he's dominating that. He won in the, won in the AL last year um, and is now... <laughs> Obviously, I don't even know what would he could probably go, you know, 0 for 30 and still be the favorite to win it this year. It's not just the average. I mean, the dude's on pace for 
like two nearly 250 hits yeah like we're, we're like that's the thing i'm i'm really watching too is just how many hits he can actually stack up i mean he's and, he's incredible and and i, I i'm yeah go ahead yeah that that one thing that that i want to point out here is that people that are not seeing him and are not watching marlin's game and now it's a good time to to watch them for many reasons that we just mentioned um but if you just read the numbers or you go to the Savant page and you see that he's not hitting the ball hard, according to the metrics, or he, that he just hits singles, they're wrong uh, because these guys just hitting balls hard uh, because, yeah, e- even though it says, oh, hard hit, it's 95, 95 small per hour plus. Well, but if you hit it 94, that's pretty hard enough, you know? And and just to see the... Um, bat to ball skills, the hand-eye coordination, and the way he's hitting the ball, driving it to the other way. Um, I think he takes it personal when he sees that someone's shifting him um, on the way they can, and, and he sees a, a defender moving a bit to right or left. I think he takes it personal. He's like, you're shifting me, really? And then he goes and hit it whatever they're not placed. So I think that's the most impressive part, that, that he knows he can hit for more power. We saw him WBC what he did against Lance Lynn and, and Team USA. Um, he he knows he he can do it, but he just doesn't need to because the big guys are behind him: Soler, uh, De La Cruz, Jazz, the guys that we just mentioned, to do that job. And and he's just changing uh, the way this Marlins lineup was functioning for years, and um, it's been so good for them. Yeah, if you're looking at the underlying metrics and want to rely on that then you i mean i'm just feel sad for you honestly at this point (laughs) um um, uh last question for you daniel before we let you go uh because we know not everyone's necessarily you know locked into the models but i want to know how the what the reception's been actually in miami because uh i was talking to you a little bit yesterday about this but it sounds like it's it's picking up, right? Maybe it's not automatic sellout mm-hmm. the way it's been in some other markets that have been suddenly had a good team like Cincinnati and whatever. But it seems like we actually are making steps in the right direction. So how have you kind of felt that? And 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 what does that look like? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's no um, not a coincidence that it's happening just when the both the, se- the uh, Miami Heat season and Florida mm-hmm. Panthers season, it's done. Uh, they both went to their championship round or finals, whatever. They both lost, um, unfortunately. But uh, now that those two seasons are over, people are coming to, to the ballpark because the team is winning. And, and that's the important part. I, I, to see 25,000 on Saturday against the Pirates and 22,000 on Sunday against the same team, something that I, that I could have never imagined years ago to to see, you know, uh, because that's usually was at 9,000, 10,000. If lucky, you know, attendance against a pirate against a, a, a pirates team. So to see it on a live and, and to see the excitement of the people, the the MVP chance for Luis or um, the age people turning on the the lights on the phone when AJ Puck comes in and the whole ball, ballpark gets dark, uh, just like they do in in Houston with with Presley or Edwin Diaz in New York. I mean, th- it's. I I, fe- I feel like it's kind of starting to create a culture um, among Marlins fans, and that's pretty exciting to see. And like, I think the Heat Panther thing is a good point because 
oftentimes by the time you get to the end of the June, the Marlins are already toast. And so exactly. it's like once exactly. that happened, that, that, has, that has happened for the last couple of years. And to see that they're actually winning, it's like, hey, let's let's keep this going because teams in South Florida are doing pretty good. Right. The Dolphins might be good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messi is coming to town. Hey. Uh, we have we have F one here in Miami. So many many good things are happening in in South Florida sports. And to actually see the Marlins mm-hmm. doing this good, I, yeah. I think it's it's pretty exciting and it's contagious as well. Last question. Does Messi throw out a first pitch at Marlins Park? I hope he does. And you know what? When if if he does it, he's gonna throw it as a right hander because I I didn't know he was a righty. He just kicks with his left really? leg. The, but he's he's a right. He's actually a righty. The he, real question, yeah. And I'm sure we will review his first pitch when it happens. Who's gonna catch it? Because you know, for normal oh, uh, first pitches, I, I for think, normal I first th- pitches, yeah. where it's just whoever. They'll just throw out the last reliever. reliever like nobody, yeah. nobody wants to go do that, right? Yeah. But I imagine it'll be different in this case. So, Ooh, who do you think? I, Who's your pick? I think it could be Yuli Gurriel because he's the biggest soccer fan in in that clubhouse. That's a good. Um, it's funny because I they they the Marlins recorded a video with um, a messy jersey, invite <laughs> saying him like, "Hey, uh, welcome to Miami, whatever." And Luis was like. Hey Messi, my brother. Like if they're like their best friends, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you don't know him. You don't know him. It's like, hey Messi, my brother. I'm like, no, you're you don't know him. But you're from <laughs> Jaraku. You never watch a soccer game down there. But um, well, Julie, I, Julie, Julie's a huge soccer guy. Although he's a big Real Madrid fan, ooh, I think Julie, well, Julie, and Soler might be finding each other. I like the idea of Sandy it. being like, I'm the most important guy on the team. I, even though I'm pitching today, I'm catching. <laughs> I'm catching. <laughs> yeah. Well, that will be among the many reasons to watch the Marlins in the second half. Will Messi throw out a first pitch? Uh, Daniel Alvarez, you are incredible at what you do. We are so lucky to have you as a regular guest <laughs> on the show. Thank you so much for the insight. And um, man, uh, come on, Marlins, make us proud. We appreciate it. I, I, <laughs> that's a that's a good song. I, I got it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm always happy to to be here, and I can't wait to see you guys in in Seattle in two and in, in a week and two days from from now. We'll, I guess we'll see you you and Luis yeah. arise there. It will be a good time. All right, thank Absolutely. you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. Thank you to Daniel Alvarez, as always, for being incredibly good at his job and a very nice man with a lot of good baseball insight. Uh, we are going to do, instead of doing uh, bold predictions, maybe we'll save that for Friday. I'll <laughs> look at those later this week. We wanted to do a quick email before we get out of here. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. And we received a fantastic email from Mark a little over a week ago. And I wanted to read it. Mark says, hey, Jake and Jordan, I want to share with you one of my favorite places on the internet right now, Cutter Crawford's Baseball Savant page. What? A great name for a pitcher, of course. Probably one of the only players in baseball that will appear in Google Images just by searching their first name. It was inevitable that someone named Cutter who enjoys baseball would eventually learn to throw a cutter. But I was curious how good his cutter actually is. 
And basically, I won't go into the nitty gritty of the numbers, but basically, Cutter Crawford's cutter sucks. <laughs> and when he wrote this email a little over a week and a half ago, Cutter Crawford had yet to record a single strikeout on a cutter. Now, you might say, oh, cutters aren't meant to get strikeouts, but he throws 30% cutters and has been pretty good this season and had yet to record a strikeout on a cutter until he faced the Twins and uh, finally got one against Alex Kirilov. And so uh, Mark goes on, maybe there's been some bad luck uh, given the 287 expected batting average, but I have to wonder, does Cutter Crawford feel like he has to throw a cutter because of his name? Do you think whoever named him Cutter is actively aware that this cutter has not been a good pitch for him this season as he considered changing his name to Curveball with a K? Crawford, thanks guys, love the pod. Jake, what do you make of this situation? I think it is hilarious. First of all, if anything, it, it it let me know that Cutter Crawford's been pretty damn good for the Red Sox this year. But what what do you make of this? If Cutter Crawford's first name wasn't Cutter, he wouldn't throw one. I you're a hundred percent certain of that. Yeah, I feel like if he didn't have that name, he would have scrapped the pitch a while ago. <laughs> but it is literally a part of him. What's he supposed to do? Not throw a cutter anymore? Well, this is great because this is also one of those things where. Cutter Crawford, like when you name your kid Cutter, you know, are, are you're at least hoping he's going to not end up as like a mailman, probably, right? <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know how much what, what the baseball bloodlines are in the Crawford family, but I'm also curious about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, I think he's thrown it since he's been in the big leagues. I'm curious if it, like the the usage has ticked up in recent years, but it is... It is quite hilarious, um, and you know we've we've seen other cutters in baseball before, not with a K, before of course, but uh, we have some cutters in the minors. Cutter Coffee, although I believe he's in a, he's a shortstop, um, so I don't know. I, I also with the Red Sox, weirdly, uh, but I don't know. This is I, I it, like you don't have probably don't have the heart to tell him like, hey, dude, you can't you can't throw this anymore. And the fact that he's throwing it thirty percent of the time, he's not going to be able to just completely go cold turkey. He'd have to completely reinvent his, his repertoire. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter. I would go the full. I would go all the way to the other side. Never throw it again. <laughs> just change your. Just you can be like, you know, location Crawford or poison I mean, the mound Crawford. Yeah, curveball or, Crawford is funny, um, but I don't know if. And that's it. Certainly works better with the K. I wanted to look at it against against the White Sox how the how the cutter was, but I agree. I, I feel like he's got. A, I I actually think he goes in the other direction. I think he should throw it exclusively. It does seem like he threw it less against against the White Sox and maybe had more success. Or he could be more, you know, factually accurate and be Cutter Crawford with no K as he is. That would also right. That would also be a good point. Maybe it's a totally different pitch, and yeah. the cutter that we are watching him throw actually has nothing to do with it. That's a good, that's a good point. So Cutter Crawford, let us know. Uh, thank you to Mark for the wonderful email. Thank you to Daniel Alvarez for joining us. Thank you to Chris Tyler, as always for producing. We'll be back on Friday, uh, with possibly a fun special guest. We'll see. And we'll get to those bold predictions and review those from MLB.com later on this week. But until then, uh, go listen, uh, to, uh, Marlins will soar a hundred times and we'll talk to you in a couple of days. Bye. Serious XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.